The Truth News Network. Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. And there's another thing that you can't trust all the time, and that's technology. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. I am sorry we're late, 13 minutes late. You're not going to believe what happened. No, you probably will believe it. Um, We get set for our shows every morning, uh, about at least 45 minutes before we go live. And when I say we get set, we test the equipment. And as you can imagine, broadcast at every level, television, radio, streaming online like we are, everybody relies on computer technology. And of course, this organization has for years functioned primarily using Mac products, have several iMacs, and our main studio iMac at about Six minutes until airtime, all of a sudden it went black and a message came up and said, your computer is shutting down because of a problem. (laughs) So it couldn't happen at a better time. And of course it took five to 10 minutes to reboot because it has to reload everything. So here I sat looking at my computer, watching it reboot, and praying the whole time, dear God, let everything that we planned, everything that we put in this computer, all the sound bites, all the story links, everything, let it come back just like it did uh, when it died. And guess what? It did, but it took 13 minutes. So I guess it's a good way to get into the Christmas month, right? December has arrived. Merry Christmas. Let me be the first to tell you that. Not this happy holiday stuff. I wished my Jewish friends happy Hanukkah. And for the rest of you, Merry Christmas. You know what was going on while you weren't paying attention late yesterday and last night? The world continued to spin and trouble continued to happen. It never seems to stop. Well, we've got a lot we're going to weigh in this morning. You're going to hear from people like uh, the President of the United States. Um, You're going to hear some new evidence about some ties that the President's son has that seem to have been buried and now just seem to be coming to light. We're going to talk about that travesty, that horror that happened up in Michigan at that high school. You're going to hear from Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, and one of my favorite, Senator John Kennedy. So there's a lot of things to get into today, and yes, we got started late, so why don't we just go ahead and dive right in. Let's begin with, um, and I just I just had one file, I think, that I just totally lost. No, here it is. My computer, this computer in the studio, it's doing some strange things today. Um, we've been watching very closely, as have most of you what's going on with the test in the various courts around the nation regarding everything to do with these vaccine mandates. 
You got the military vaccine mandates. You have the federal workers and and um, federal contract employees and their vaccine mandates. Then you have CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services of Federal Government Bureaucracy, and the president, through CMS, um, put out that mandate for all healthcare workers have to be vaccinated. And then, of course, the OSHA rule that's being tested in big fashion, um, that was the every company that has 100 employees or more, they must all be vaccinated. So the latest, the latest stay, it's a really big one. Uh, I have good friends. We have clients, numerous clients of our medical reimbursement management company. And everybody in those organizations obviously have employees, healthcare workers. And there were no exceptions. Healthcare workers under that mandate could not file for an exemption for religious or healthcare reasons, period. And uh, I got a call the other day. I, I shared a little bit of it when with you on that particular day. I think it was last Thursday or Friday. And this healthcare worker that uh, has been in the job that he's in has been for 20, 25 years. He was very concerned, very upset. What to do? What to do? He doesn't believe these vaccines are um, effective. They don't do what they're supposed to do. And we still don't know everything that are in them. And he doesn't want to put something in his body that he's not sure of. And he is in the healthcare business. He works in a hospital. And so I just basically said, it comes right down to this. We're all going to have to make a decision, either to follow through or to stand firm. And he asked me, he said, what would you do? And I'm going to give you a direct quote. I said, if they vaccinate me, and this is based upon what they know and I know today. They'll have to do it when they knock me out. I just don't think it's what it's represented to be, any of it. I don't know the whys. I don't know the whats. But you know what? When something quacks and waddles, it's a duck. This thing is just waddling and keeps quacking. And we can't quite put our fingers on the substance of it until that happens, unless... And until that happens, I'm not going to be comfortable with it. So a federal judge yesterday halted the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. Now, um, this case applies only to 10 states. Only to 10 states. The mandate promulgated earlier this month by CMS required about 17 million workers to get a jab or lose their job. But CMS lacks the authority to impose this broad a mandate. That's according to U.S. District Judge Matthew Shelp, who's a Trump appointee, happens to be in the federal district court about 90 miles from me right now in Monroe, Louisiana. In um, the conclusion, the judge said, plaintiffs are likely to succeed in their argument that Congress has not given CMS the authority to enact the regulation at issue here. Congress did not clearly authorize CMS to enact this politically and economically vast federalism-altering and boundary-pushing mandate, which the Supreme Court precedent requires. The case came from Missouri and nine other states. They asserted that 
The healthcare worker mandate is unlawful in part because it was arbitrary, capricious, which is prohibited by the Administrative Procedure Act. The reason I'm giving you the details of this finding is I think they're critical because there are a lot of cases out there that are still pending that based upon a precedent, which this ruling now is considered in the judiciary to be a precedent, judges around the nation are going to look at this finding. The judge repeatedly agreed with the plaintiffs, finding the mandate was arbitrary for several reasons including the CMS lacked evidence showing that vaccination status has a direct impact on spreading COVID in the mandates covered healthcare facilities. No evidence. None. The judge also rejected the agency's argument that it bypassed requirements to give notice and entertain comments on a proposed measure because the pandemic constitutes an emergency. CMS waited nearly two months after announcing the mandate before releasing the text, and they delayed its implementation another month, the judge said. That doesn't seem like an emergency, which they claim that it was. You wait two months? It can't be that much of an emergency. The agency also waited more than 10 months after two COVID vaccines were cleared by drug regulators to impose this mandate, so we couldn't be realistically, in an emergency situation, or they would have done it much sooner. He said this, while today's ruling is a victory, there's a lot more work to do. That's according to the Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who's a Republican, who was the one that filed this suit. So, I spoke with this healthcare worker friend just moments before our studio computer crashed and made sure they understood at their house exactly what this is about thankfully, hasn't been forced to vaccinate and still has a job. Now, it's important to note this is just a temporary stay. And so if any of you would like that uh, that decision, uh, drop me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org, and in PDF format, we'll send you the uh, 32-page rendering from the judge. I think it's a good move for all of Americans. I really do. There is some bad news. Every day it seems like more bad news, more examples of horrible reactions to some of these vaccines coming out. Another elite athlete has experienced some devastating injuries after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Florian Daguru is a world record holder in static breath hold free diving. He's from France and he's now based in Thailand, held his breath, folks, underwater, 10 minutes and 30 seconds, 10 and a half minutes. That's crazy. So he took the Pfizer route. After he got a second dose, he experienced increased heart rate and a reduction in his breath-holding capacity immediately. He was diagnosed by a cardiologist, and he was diagnosed with myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle, and also pericarditis, which is inflammation of the outer lining of the heart itself. Both are recognized adverse effects linked to the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine. While the CDC continues to claim that these effects are rare after these injections, as of November the 10th, 
1,800 reports of myocarditis or pericarditis among people ages 12 to 19 years who received COVID injections have been reported to the VAERS system. We bring you those VAERS numbers every week. As a result of the shots, his career is probably over. He shared his experience with Pfizer's COVID not shots in his own words on Instagram. Here's what he said. Myocarditis, pericarditis, and trivial mitral regurgitation. Thank you, Pfizer. Just want to share my annoying experience after vaccination and perhaps have some testimonials and similar stories around free divers. Did you get better? After my second dose, I noticed my heart rate was way higher than normal. My breathful capacities went down significantly. During sleep, I'm at 65 to 70 beats per minute instead of 37 to 45. During the day, I'm now always over 100 beats per minute instead of 65, even when I sit down and relax. I once even reached 177 beats per minute while having dinner with friends. Ten days after my second jab, I went to see a cardiologist. He told me it's common side effects of Pfizer vaccine. Nothing to worry about. Just rest and it's going to pass. Forty days after the second jab, he said I had no progress. So I went to see another cardiologist, was diagnosed with myocarditis, pericarditis, and trivial mitral regurgitation, which is basically an inflammation of the heart muscles caused by the immune system and some tiny leaks of blood from the valves that no longer close properly. He said, I'm now struggling to reach eight minutes breath hole, 150 meters down, and I even have a strong urge to breathe during 40 meter dives. 30% decrease on my diving performance roughly. My first thought and recommendation to free divers around the world, choose a vaccine which is done the old-fashioned way, like Sputnik, Sinovac, Sinopharm, etc., instead of those new mRNA vaccines. Got to be honest with you, he's a whole lot calmer than I would have. I'd have gone nuts. He kind of went nuts, but I wouldn't make a recommendation to anybody about anything at this particular point when it comes to getting a vaccine. In another case, another athlete, a professional tennis player, 34-year-old Jeremy Charty. He's ranked 73rd in the world. He suspended his season over the weekend due to a severe adverse reaction to a COVID-19 shot. He has left him unable to engage in any type of intense activity. Here's what he said. Since I had my vaccine between the Olympics and the U.S. Open, I have a problem. I'm struggling. I can't train. I can't play. In my head, it's difficult because I don't know how long it's going to last. For now, my season is over. I don't know when it will resume. It's frustrating because I started the year really well. I was playing very good. Then I went to the Olympic Games where I also felt very good. It's frustrating, especially that I don't have 10 years left to play. I regret having the vaccine, but I could not have known this would happen. He said, I'll be 35 in February, so right now I might be a bit negative, but this is the first time I've ever thought that this season might be my last. I don't want to think about it. It's difficult because I was having fun and I want to play longer. 34-year-old. 34 years old. 
Veteran triathlete Antoine Michain, a 32-year-old, is also facing potential into his career after he got the Moderna injections. After his second one, he began to experience shortness of breath, low back pain, which turned out to be a pulmonary embolism. The symptoms, which included breathing problems and arm pain, started after his first dose, but doctors brushed off his shortness of breath as related to stress and fatigue. About a month after the second dose, shortness of breath and body pain returned. Only after he got tested at a sports clinic was the pulmonary embolism revealed. Machine said, I'm now getting treatment, and I hope to regain my lung capacity in 3, 6, 12, 9 months, who knows. Until then, rest in low intensity for several months, damaging healthy people to preserve the health of the weakest, a choice of backward logic. I would not get vaccinated again if it had to be done again. Here's another one, Kyle Warner. Another example of healthy people in peak physical condition getting COVID-19 injections and being harmed by them. Kyle Warner is a 29-year-old professional mountain bike racer. Got his second dose in June of this year. Pfizer. He suffered a reaction so severe that as of October, he was still spending days in bed, easily overwhelmed by too much mental or physical exertion. Within seconds of his second dose, he experienced a metallic saline taste in his mouth, which can be an indication that the shot went into a vessel instead of the muscle. About two weeks later, he started having strange reactions in his heart. Throughout the day, he started experiencing periods of accelerated heart rate. As is often the case, an ER doc completely brushed off his symptoms, telling him that he's not having a reaction to the shot, but instead was having an attack of anxiety. Days after being sent home from the ER and still experiencing heart problems, including cramping and burning, he went to a different hospital where he was diagnosed with pericarditis along with postural orthostatic tachycardia symptoms and reactive arthritis. POTS, which is that tachycardia syndrome, is a blood circulation disorder, affects the autonomic autonomic nervous system, can be triggered by injections that include, by the way, mRNA COVID-19 shots. One of the key symptoms of POTS is a significant increase in heart rate when a person just stands up. Elevated heart rate remains elevated for a longer than normal time. Fatigue, nausea, dizziness, heart palpitations, and exercise intolerance usually also happens. Did you hear that last sentence, last phrase? Usually also happens. In other words, there's a bunch of other cases like this before this one that they can point to and say, oh, this happens pretty much a lot. While his symptoms of pericarditis have cleared, thankfully, he's still struggling with the symptoms of reactive arthritis in POTS, which can last for 12 to 18 months or longer. Warner, being very fit, accustomed to listening to his body, caught the problem early. Many others may not have. He said, I believe where the risk is, there needs to be a choice. But right now, people are being misled. People are being coerced into making a decision based on lack of information versus being convinced of a decision based 
on total information and transparency. By the way, just so far, again, from that, oh my gosh, I I hate to even say this, from that very reputable agency's website, myocarditis and pericarditis cause symptoms such as chest pain, shortness of breath, and a fluttering or pounding heart. Cases have occurred most often after mRNA COVID-19 injections, particularly in male adolescents and young adults. Further, the CDC says, myocarditis occurs more often after the second injection, usually within a week. And guess what they're telling us? Pfizer's COVID-19 shot increases myocarditis risk threefold. You do understand how insane this is. Myocarditis, that's your heart, folks, your heart. We're letting doctors jab us, put something in our bodies that very negatively enters the linings of our heart and begins to attack it. And that's okay? We're supposed to just take it and do it in the name of what? Stopping ourselves from getting COVID-19? Or now they're telling us, well, if you get the shot and you get COVID-19, it's probably not going to be as bad and you may not die. I just cannot believe that people at the top of our healthcare system. I'm not talking about the politicians. Let me just tell you this. There are a bunch of doctors that serve in the House of Representatives, a few of them in the U.S. Senate. Most of them, they don't even want to talk about this because it's politically incorrect to tell people the truth, so they just resist having a conversation about it. These doctors know something's amiss. Something's not right with all of this. Do you know in the mandates from Joe Biden, you know that not everybody in the federal government, even though everybody in the federal government, according to the mandates that he put out, is supposed to be vaccinated, he he very quietly put out exemptions for everybody that he thought he needed to, like every member of Congress, every member of Congress's staff, White House staff. They don't have to do it. Does that, to you, sound like some kind of sound, legitimate way to run a government, way to deal with the people, your bosses? It doesn't to me. And now we have this Omicron variant. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. It's Satan himself is marching through the land. Do you know that Joe Biden set the world on fire over the weekend when the Omicron was released They don't know anything about it. The French doctor in South Africa that found it and he raised the the banner, he was very clear about it. Yeah, because it's a version of COVID-19. It's deadly, but it's much less deadly than the previous ones. Yet Joe Biden, travel ban, travel ban. Oh my gosh, we can't let anybody come here. 
They're talking about lockdowns again and mask mandates. I mean, the egregious lockdown stuff. There are places across the nation that preemptively, they say, they've already begun to shut down. And we don't know a thing about it. We're reacting to something just like Fauci had us do a year and a half ago. Reacting to something the experts are telling us, but they're telling us not based on facts, based solely on opinions. Folks in legitimate health care, doctors don't treat people that way. They don't tell us that. In fact, let me just give you an example. I'm going to let you listen to somebody. Somebody that had the shot and just really got torn up personally herself from the shots. In our coronavirus coverage, a Utah woman and Utah senator are teaming up to get some answers. This comes after a group claims they've experienced life-altering injuries that they believe are from the vaccine. While the symptoms haven't been officially linked to the vaccine by the CDC, some are convinced that they're related. Now, I spoke with that woman to find out what she's been experiencing and why she's now asking the public for help. There's no question that the vaccines do save lives. Brianne Dressen is a preschool teacher in Saratoga Springs who participated in the AstraZeneca clinical trial back in November. We all knew that some people were going to draw the short straw. And that includes her. She got her shot on November 4th, and she says she hasn't been the same since. Immediately, within an hour, I had tingling down my arm. And by the time I got home, my vision was blurry and double. But that wasn't all. My sensitivity to sound might have become so severe that I had to have earmuffs on all the time and sunglasses. She says that's when things took a turn for the worse. So I had this weeks-long neurological decline. Uh, Nobody knew what was going on. I called the test clinic several times. Finally, two days later, they had me come in and they did a neurological exam and they said, Oh, it looks like you have MS. Her symptoms continued to worsen, and just before Thanksgiving, she says her legs stopped working, sending her to the ER. But after running several MRIs, CAT scans, and lumbar punctures, nothing. I spent the next several months of my life trapped in my room by myself completely alone and in silence. Even the sound of my husband's pants swishing was too much for my ears. Um, We put towels on the windows trying to make it darker. And uh, it was a nightmare. No answers, no relief, no hope. I, I missed out on Christmas. I didn't buy my kids a single Christmas present. Um, I've missed out on months of their lives. She spent months teaching herself how to walk, eat, and form sentences again, all while she traveled near and far to try and get some answers. The hospital didn't know what was going on. None of the neurologists that I saw knew what was going on. She says she's talked with others who are dealing with the same symptoms after getting their COVID-19 vaccines. I want the CDC to do the right thing and communicate with the medical community so these people can get help. 
And while she calls herself pro-vaccine, she believes the people who are injured are being left behind. We absolutely can have the vaccines and we can take care of the injured. This does not need to be an either or thing. While Dressen was at a research institution in Washington, D.C., she met up with Utah Senator Mike Lee to voice her concerns. And after explaining everything she and others were going through, he, along with Wisconsin Senator John, Ron Johnson, agreed to write a letter to the CDC and the FDA demanding some answers. Now, in that letter, they asked for a response to each of the six questions they wrote out no later than this coming Monday. And if you want to read that entire letter, just head to our website at abc4.com. We don't just bring you stories and let you listen to stories like that firsthand. You heard it from the woman herself. Just to be completely honest with you folks, she's really struggling still. And she was talking about getting this in a test. She was a test subject for the vaccines over a year ago, and it basically destroyed her life. You heard from these athletes, professional athletes, These are the ones, folks, that we were told by Fauci and other experts from the beginning, if you're healthy, if you're an exercise person, you eat healthy, you're not likely to have any problems. But they were pushed, just as millions of Americans have been pushed, and more are doing so now because of the mandates from this administration. And then having these things happen just because they listened to our leaders in Washington. Not our leaders at the doctor's office. No, no, no. I can only tell you what I think is a percentage of real doctors in this nation that don't believe in this thing, that are telling their patients, look, I can't support it because we don't know what's going to happen to you and others if you get vaccinated. This was not done. These vaccines were not researched and put in place in a traditional vaccination environment that has happened every other time in U.S. history. They were rushed to the marketplace. The human trials were just minimal. And now, only now, after the trials, we're finding out that some of the data that came out of those trials that were given to the FDA were not truthful. In the middle of all of that, folks, we're still being told, get the vax, get the vax. And you know why we're being told that? Because it's the politically correct thing to do. Politically correct. The pendulum has swung in this nation from the people deciding what's best for the people to a few, an elected and appointed bureaucratic very, very small minority in Washington, D.C. are the ones that have seized power to decide what you and I must do regarding our own bodies. And isn't it a bit ironical that today, right now, at the U.S. Supreme Court, oral arguments are underway regarding the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade that very controversial abortion decision that was passed out by the U.S. Supreme Court in the early 70s. And there are thousands of protesters outside the Supreme Court building 
and they're chanting, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. Of course, I guarantee every one of those people or most of them are vaccinated. So what they're saying is it's politically correct for us to chant my body, my choice when it comes to abortion. You know, we're talking about a fetus. We're not talking about a baby. You know, three and a half, four inches in a birth canal makes somebody be not alive or alive. But when it comes to vaccinations, oh, you can't make that decision for yourself. You don't have the facts. You've got to listen to us because we're endowed. We're enlightened. We know what you don't know. So you better get vaccinated. And then this Omicron variant comes around. Listen to this. The new Omicron variant is a real threat to Biden standing with the public. Think about that. All of a sudden, we're finding out from somebody in the media that probably the decisions that come from this White House regarding how we handle this Omicron variant has to do with Biden standing with the public. To even think for a moment that 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 one thing would have anything to do with what this government would say or do or want us to do with Biden standing with the public? How about just do the right thing? How about just do the legal thing? Do the constitutional thing and urge us to be very smart, to make choices for ourselves based on medical science that we get from our doctors, our professional medical workers, not our politicians. I just wanted to throw up when I read that quote from the president of Ipsos, but it's true. And just when you think it can't get worse, did you know Angela Merkel is on her way out as Chancellor of Germany. Her replacement, incoming German Chancellor Olaf Schloss, he revealed yesterday he's going to push for a vaccine mandate for every German resident. And he's blaming the unvaccinated for the recent surge in coronavirus cases in his country. Mr. Schultz, who leads the newly agreed left globalist coalition in Germany. He's going to be sworn in as new German chancellor early this month, probably next week. Yesterday, he talked about his support for making vaccines mandatory for everybody. He caveated it by saying it would be left to the German parliament to vote for such a measure. Go figure, their leader, incoming leader, understands coming in that he doesn't have unilateral authority to do that mandate thing. Schultz said, I'll vote for it. He added, my suggestion is that the time by which everyone has been vaccinated is not too far away. So my suggestion, early February, early March. What we need is a legislative procedure in which every member of parliament votes according to his conscience on a general vaccination obligation. The incoming chancellor cast blame on the unvaxxed for the recent surge in COVID cases in Germany, saying it's the case that the fact 
that there are so many who have not been vaccinated is the reason why he, we have a problem today as a whole country. Sounds a little uh, deja vu-ish there. Didn't we hear the same things? <laughs> Didn't we hear the same things from this president? We have a crisis among the unvaccinated, and then we find out medical facts don't bear that out. In fact, in many places in the nation, the truth is exactly opposite. Novel idea, folks. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just let you and you let me make a decision about what's best for me and my body and what's best for my family members? I got kids. My kids are underage. They have no clue, no authority, no power to make such a decision on their own. We could be like that that lady from New Orleans, Jennifer Ravane. You remember her? She was on a couple of weeks ago with us with her attorney, Shelley Maturin. Her 16-year-old son at East Jefferson High School, suburb of New Orleans. Oshner Hospital, Oshner Medical Center, biggest medical center chain in the state of Louisiana, they have a mobile vaccine ban. And they just drove this van onto the campus at East Jeff and started giving away free vaccination to students. And her son, he wasn't old enough, legally old enough, to make a decision for himself to be or not to be vaccinated. He went to check it out, he said. We had his mom on the show with their attorney. And they talked him into it. I think it's it's high time that we basically held up our hand in the faces of those who are trying to shove this down our throats and say, stop it, stop it. Until this is proven to be effective, until we know what's in it, we know what all the adverse reactions to it are, and you guys get honest about everything to do with it, we're not going to do it. You may say, Dan, that's going to kill people. Worldwide, it's even better here in the United States, but worldwide, if every human being in every nation is rolled into a formula, basically, if you don't do anything, if you don't take any type of vaccine, what are the odds you're going to die from COVID-19? It's less than 1%. Yeah, 1% in the world is a lot of people. But there are measures that we can take, preventative measures, smart things. Very few things that come out of this administration, I'm not talking about the U.S. Congress, I'm talking about the White House and those appointed to serve in it. Very few things regarding health care have been realistic, have proven to be true, and have been good for the American people. Think about that. Put that in your brain when you try to determine what should we do. whole lot more on the way this morning. Don't go anywhere. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize 
Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. Out for some lays and you face a test Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips yeah. You left your wallet at home But now you have a new best friend The many flavors of Lay's chips One taste and you're in love is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. I don't know that I'm insane, but I can tell you I'm, I'm well down the path toward it, trying to reconcile all the things we are hearing and seeing happen. Did you hear about what happened yesterday up in Michigan? Horrible situation at one Michigan high school, a 15-year-old, 15-year-old boy, he had a gun at Michigan's Oxford High School yesterday. And the gun, guess what? This is a travesty. His father bought the gun last Friday, Black Friday this year. Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard announced the 15-year-old used a pistol that his father bought last Friday. He indicated the 15-year-old had two 15-round magazines and fired at least 12 rounds during the attack. Bouchard, the sheriff, pointed out the 15-year-old had used the handgun for target shooting after his dad bought it, but stressed there had been no credible threats prior to the attack yesterday. The Detroit Free Press explained the 15-year-old suspect declined to speak to law enforcement after he was arrested. His parents have hired a lawyer, refusing to let law enforcement question him. This is a really, really tough situation. I mean, what do you do? How do you handle it? There's no realistic explanation for it. I mean, a kid, it doesn't have to be a kid, but a kid takes a handgun his father bought just days ago and wipes out wipes out three kids, killed three. 16-year-old Tate Meyer, 14-year-old Hannah St. Juliana, and 17-year-old Madison Baldwin. 
This is travesty of the worst kind. Folks, parents shouldn't bury their kids. It's supposed to be the other way around. Do you think the moms or dads of any one of these three kids gave one small thought yesterday morning when they told their kids goodbye as they headed out the door for going to work or their kids headed out the door to go to school? That would be the last time they see their kids alive? I can't imagine that that feeling. Thankfully, we've been spared in our family, our three children. We've never buried a child. We did bury a grandchild. We've told you that story here before. One of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life was driving up to that cemetery seeing my, my grandbaby in that little bitty white coffin. My heart goes out to those parents. Oh my gosh. And it's not just in Michigan, folks. Cook County, listen to this. For the first time in more than 30 years, there have been more than 1,000 homicides in Cook County, which is basically Chicago and the immediate surroundings. 777 of that 1,000 were in Chicago, the city alone. The medical examiner's office said yesterday the county's homicide total is at 1,009 for the year. Still more than a month to go. Of those 927 of them were gun-related homicides. The last time Cook County had more than 1,000 homicides in a year was 1994. There were 1,141 that year. The record for Cook County is 1,229 homicides in 91 The county had 986 homicides last year, which was a 40% increase over 2019's total of 675. Lawlessness instigates lawlessness. Lawbreaking instigates lawbreaking. Anger. And it just continues to grow. And this is all happening while they're still screaming from the mountaintops in D.C. At least a big chunk of the far left in Congress. Defund the cops. Shut it down. We don't need policemen out there for 911 calls unless there's violence underway. Do you think that could have anything to do? Not just that cities have defunded cops. Many have. Well, not many, but several have. But that that cry that anybody in mass would want to and think that defunding the police is a good thing, is it any surprise that that would sweep across America and that somebody out there would find a way to take advantage of that feeling, that sense that a lot of Americans have been experiencing? Think about the George Floyd stuff up in Minneapolis. Do you realize that they they took money away from their cops, from the police force? And the cry went out. They actually came up with a plan to do just that. Meanwhile, crime just kept going through the roof. All of these big cities that even been exploring doing this, their criminality's gone crazy. Symbolism over substance very seldom does anything good. It always does something. Usually, it's much more dangerous, much more egregious in the way of results 
than good that it does. If you think for just a second of what was the sole driving reason for even the consideration of it, it was about the occasion that white cops shoot and kill black suspects. If you count the numbers of those things that have happened over the last year, it's mind-boggling to believe that there are actually people in the nation that would want to shut down the criminal justice system as we know it completely. Replace it with what? Some shrinks? Some counselors? Yeah, that's going to work really well when you get a 911 call and there's a gang shootout that's happening on the streets in Chicago. They're not going to listen to a shrink. They'll shoot a shrink that goes out there, anybody that gets in the way. And I'm exaggerating, but you understand what I'm referencing. It makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. There is so much stuff going on around the nation, so many things happening in our government that are just things that make you shake your heads. I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I try. I'm not a stupid person. I'm an understanding person. And I like to always look at the glass as being half full. But it's not always half full. And then in legislation, pending legislation, build back better, infrastructure. Uh, uh, Joe Biden was out on the campaign trail yesterday, and he was selling his infrastructure plan and selling the other plan, the Build Back Better plan that is being considered right now in the Senate, the House of Representatives has already passed it. The biggest financial boondoggle in American history. Most expensive piece of legislation in history. Over 2,000 pages in the bill that's pending. There are a lot of ironies contained within it. The chief one is the very substance of how it came about. Do you know that bill did not go through the House of Representatives in regular order. You know what regular order is? When anybody, any member of the House of Representatives proposes a piece of legislation and it's taken up, the House Speaker decides we're going we're gonna to deal with this one. What the House Speaker then is takes the bill and assigns its consideration out to the various committees for them to look at the committee part of what they do within the bill and they hold committee hearings. They have witnesses that come that testify. The committees themselves get to debate the different parts of the bill. They can bring up amendments to be discussed, bring in more witnesses about the amendments that are proposed. And then the committees take a vote when they get to the final version that they're okay with and they think it needs to move forward It goes back to the House Speaker. The House Speaker then determines whether to put it out on the floor of the House for everybody to consider it and maybe take it up to vote. That's normal order is what it's called. That didn't happen. Not one committee had a formal hearing about this Build Back Better or the infrastructure bill that's already been passed and signed into law. So Biden's out on the campaign trail. And he's campaigning for his Build Back Better bill. And one of the things that he gets into out there, which is a joke, 
all this spending, more than a trillion in the infrastructure plan, probably two, three, four trillion if the numbers ever come clean about what's in the Build Back Better plan. Joe Biden, he's sticking to his promise. It's all paid for. It's all paid for. It's not going to raise a single dollar through taxes of American people for anybody that makes $400,000 a year or less. Not going to cost a dime. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be traveling all over the country. And so will Vice President Harris and my cabinet and folks throughout this our administration to show how these investments are going to change your lives, change lives for the better. Now we're finally doing something about it. No more talking. They've done not a single thing since then to improve it. It's good. And now it costs $1,000 a month. 17 Nobel laureates, 17, three weeks ago, spontaneously sent me a letter. It can't be because it would add to the deficit, because it reduces the deficit over the long term. It can't be because it's fiscally responsible, because it's fully paid for. <laughs> fully paid for. No one. No one earning less than $400,000 a year will pay a single penny more in federal taxes. <coughs> I'm a capitalist. Not a penny. Not a penny more. Let me just say this. Can you think of, do you remember a single bill that has been passed and signed into law by the United States Congress regarding spending, a spending bill. Can you tell me about a single bill, a spending bill, that didn't cost any taxpayer dollars? Where does the money come from? (laughs) Where does the federal government get any of its money, folks? It can only come into the U.S. Treasury through confiscatory policies. That means they go get it from us. Companies, corporations, and American citizens through taxes and fines. All those kind of things add up. But who pays for all of that? Do you know of a single corporation that purposely loses money? The big companies, the ones that make a lot of money, they're not purposely going to lose money. The government doesn't care. The government doesn't make money. It seizes money through tax, taxes on American people and industries. These corporations, folks, the ones that he says are going to pay for this whole thing through taxes, who gives them? the money to do so. Where does the money come from? Every corporation that creates goods or that sells services, they're looking for a bottom line. They're looking for what's called a bottom line. They're looking for profit. They're not looking to lose money. How do you make a profit? Well, you got two columns on your spreadsheet. One is cost. What you have to pay as a business to operate. What usually goes into that? Well, you have to pay for your building. That means insurance, rent, utilities. You have to have people working for you to create, to build, to make things, or to provide services. I got somebody coming out here this week because our fireplace, smoke comes out of the fireplace. It's not venting properly. 
So a company's coming out here. They're going to service the fireplace. The other line is revenue. How much money you get when you charge people for the products that you sell or the services that you provide. And you have to, if you want to survive long term, you have to have at the end of it all money left over from what you have sold and the services that you have provided. You want to have money left over to cover all of the cost of getting that service and products sold. That's called profit. So when Joe Biden comes in and says not one dollar of taxes will be paid by people that make $400,000 a year or less, we're going to pay for it. (laughs) We're going to pay for every dime. Those companies aren't going to pay for it. What are they going to do? Raise their prices. It's already happening at the gas pump. Gas in some places at the pump has doubled since Joe Biden took the oath of office. Other cases, it's up 30, 40, 50%. Who pays that 50% that goes up, that went up because of Joe Biden's energy policies and the ones that he's threatened to instigate and they are coming? Who pays for that? Consumers do. Who are the consumers? Me and you. We pay more for the same thing. So Janet Yellen yesterday was at the Senate testifying before a committee in the Senate. Janet Yellen's the Secretary of Treasurer before under Obama. She was the head of the Federal Reserve. She's been in finance. She knows everything about finance and everybody knows her, but I can promise you one thing about her. Never met her, but I can tell you this. There's never been a rule that takes money from the American people through whatever it is financially. Not ever been one that she doesn't like. My buddy from Louisiana, U.S. Senator John Kennedy, very nicely had a back and forth with Janet Yellen yesterday about this very thing. Joe Biden's Build Back Better promises. There is no fair-minded person in the Milky Way who believes the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill are not going to require the American people to incur substantial debt. How much, in the Biden administration's opinion, is too much debt? At what point, as you incur debt, will the Biden administration say, okay, that's it? Well, first of all, I want to say that I disagree with your assessment of Build Back Better. It is fully paid for, or even more than fully paid for, and CBO just completed a comprehensive review of it in which they found essentially the same the same thing. And I believe it was important that it be fully paid for. Now, I, I think no single metric is appropriate for evaluating whether or not the level of uh, debt in an economy is reasonable and sustainable. And Um, We used to, we're accustomed to looking at debt-to-GDP ratios and um, using those kind of metrics and looking around the world, many economists have found that debt-to-GDP ratios of 100 or more um, tend to be associated with um, significant problems. Are we at 100 and more? We we are, but 
we are in very different times, and that's why it's important to recognize there's no single metric that's right. And especially in a world of very low interest rates, it's appropriate to look at yes, the burden of that debt on society, which is better measured by the real interest burden of the debt. And that is exceptionally low, negative currently, but projected as interest rates normalize well, to rise to I, a I'm level. I'm out of time. It's let still let me, very let me moderate. ask you this, Madam Chair, quickly. I, you, you gave a great speech back in uh, September of 2019. It was actually an interview, and, I, and I, I, I ordered a copy at the time. You said, this is what you said. I'm going to quote the former Fed chair said she is not worried about the debt-to-gross domestic product ratio in the United States right now, but added, and I quote, I'm worried about the trajectory of where it's going. It's not stable. We're not living within our means right now. Debt's going to escalate, and that's going to create problems down the road. But then most important is the demographic wave that lies ahead of us is going to essentially, over the next 30 years, double spending on three programs. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid is the share of GDP. And the increases, both because of the aging population and on the health care side, medical expenses, those things put us on a trajectory of a completely sustainable budget path. Now, that was when the debt was $17 trillion. It's $29 trillion. You're going to add trillions more through the bill back better. Why is that not true today? Well, is, I want to repeat again, Build Back Better is fully paid for and will not add to the debt or to deficits. Right. Um, and in fact, you, we can reduce it. We well, CBO certainly agree, agrees with what I said. And I mean, we do have problems um, eventually in financing Medicare and Social Security, which need to be addressed. I just want to point something out here. You heard what the Secretary of the Treasury said there. It's not going to cost anything. And she claimed the CBO certainly agrees with that. No, what the CBO said, we can't get to the bottom line of the numbers in this particular piece of legislation because it references and it makes claims about things that haven't happened yet. What we're going to do is we're going to take money from this basket that comes in from doing what we are going to do in this other basket and there's this is how much money's coming in and it's going to total this and we're going to take that out and spend it over here without having to get money from taxpayers. That's the way this thing is crafted. There's no way to come up with real numbers because what the Democrats and the Biden administration have done and what the Treasury Secretary was just claiming was based on that very principle, which is we're going to tell you this is what's going to happen. This is how much money is going to come in here, and uh, it's not going to come from taxpayers, so we're going to take that money and spend over here. Basically, the CBO is saying, well, I guess if everything they say is going to happen, happens, I guess then that it's okay. It's going to be okay. When? When? Have they ever predicted dollars and cents were going to be what they end up being? Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. May God bless and keep you always. 
tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. You just gotta believe me. Just believe what I'm telling you. I know what I'm talking about. Don't listen. Don't look at the facts. Forget about all that. Just listen to what I'm saying. Do what we tell you to do because we know what's going on. You know, it's really working. It's working in uh, the energy sector. Uh, it's working in healthcare. We've got this COVID-19. We've got it taken care of. Got your arms around it. You, President Biden, you promised while you were campaigning you were going to kill COVID-19. And yet, with a month to go, more people have died in 2021 from COVID-19 while you've been president than died the previous year in the heart of the pandemic under former President Donald Trump. You made a prediction. You told us something. It didn't come true. You've told us a lot of things that haven't been truthful. So why would you demand us to do anything just because you're the President of the United States and you claim it's whatever it is and we should do it? One of the driving forces behind inflation in this company is the shortage of workers. And yet immigration has fallen sharply in recent years amid the pandemic and tougher immigration policies during the Trump administration. Now, I'm not telling you what I just told you is true. I'm telling you that's what CNN is reporting today. And they go on, quote, comprehensive immigration reform which Biden could forcefully advocate for, forcefully. I don't know what that word has to do because he's referencing legislation. Congress could forcefully do because Biden told them to. CNN says that would help ease the shortage of workers and thus the inflationary pressures economists say. This is a Washington Post columnist, Catherine, uh, Catherine Rampel. She said there's one underappreciated factor that's contributing to labor shortfalls that the Biden administration could alleviate almost immediately, the missing immigrant workers. The economic logic is correct. 
more immigration will flood the labor market. So shrinking wages. So reducing the cost of many items, including food and services. But what happens? All these immigrants that they want to bring in here to take these jobs and take those jobs and take less pay for the same jobs, it puts Americans out of work that hold the jobs now. Now, why would CNN, why would any of these big national lobbying firms, why would they push this? Why would they do it? They represent Americans, right? Well, in some cases they do, some cases they don't. They represent big business. Who gets the dividends paid to them when the cost of doing business goes down? The corporations, the stockholders. The larger crisis in the U.S. labor market is not of lack of immigrants, but the dramatic decline in work among working-age people for the last 50 years. This isn't just happening. It's been evolving. That's according to Steve Camerata, who's the research director at the CIS, Center for Immigration Studies. If you look at prime-age men from the time I was born in 1964 to today, you have basically an uninterrupted 60-year decline in the share of men who are working, he said. That share began rising. When? Donald Trump. His low immigration policies. But then it crashed when the COVID-19 pandemic hit our economy. Still, many D.C. lobbies and advocates want to shield wealthy investors from inflation How are they doing it? By sacrificing the wages of ordinary Americans. Here's what he said. In the past week, we learned that these employee shortages led to the largest year-on-year increase in inflation in over 30 years. That's not him. That's from two advocates at the Brookings Institution. Some of these frontline jobs could be filled from the vast pool of migrants. This would help relieve the supply chain pressures currently hampering growth. It would calm inflation. Welcoming more low-wage foreign workers could address acute labor shortages in certain industries, helping hard-hit areas of the country recover while staving off higher inflation. As for how we would curb the inflation, this is coming from an economist and former Obama advisor, boosting immigration to alleviate labor market pressures. That was on NBC yesterday. Some advocates are calling for more migration, also claiming extra labor supply will not cut wages. Allowing more working age immigrants to enter the U.S. can reduce prices without depressing economy-wide wages. But business, that includes Wall Street, they think that a migrant, if cut wages happen there, and even Biden's White House officials admit the trade-off, So Democratic legislators are more careful as they pitch the same migration cures inflation pitch. Can you believe this is what they're saying will fix this? Bring in more migrants. Displace more Americans from work. The migrants will work for less. And so inflation is going to come down because there will be less demand for goods and services. You know what this is called? This is called social engineering, economic and social engineering 
For the benefit of who? For the benefit of the wealthy and big government America. Who pays the price? Oh, nobody's going to pay the price. The Build Back Better bill. All this stuff is going to be taking care of anything that happens to any American. Nobody's going to suffer. And guess what? No American has to pay for it. Not a dime is going to go into debt. Not a dime is going to come out of the pockets of the American people. Big businesses who don't pay their fair share. And so if they ever, whenever they tax big businesses, big businesses write the checks, and then big businesses comes to you and me through raised prices to get the money that they're having to pay out because big government wants it to happen. It's a vicious cycle, but it's real, and somebody pays the bill. So today in D.C., that very controversial law in Mississippi regarding abortion is front and center as the United States Supreme Court is in uh, oral arguments right now. So what's it all about? The scope of abortion in the U.S. That's what's at stake. Jackson Women's Health, a lawsuit against Jackson Women's Health in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, potentially the most consequential challenge to the 1973 Roe v. Wade landmark ruling that limited government restrictions on abortion. Let me give you some key details about the case and what you should be looking at. What's happening? Well, the state of Mississippi is arguing that the Supreme Court should allow it and other states to ban abortion after 15 weeks. More specifically, it's asking the court to strike down a lower court's decision that blocks its 15-week abortion ban from taking effect. This Mississippi law was passed three years ago, 2018. It encountered one legal challenge from Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is an abortion clinic that claims Mississippi's law is unconstitutional and should be permanently blocked because it violates the previous court decisions on the abortion issue. The court's nine justices will be present in oral arguments today, and they're there, and have the chance to ask both sides for their reasoning. For Mississippi, the state's Solicitor General, Scott Stewart, is arguing in favor of the law. On the other side, Attorney Julie Reichelman and U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar. So what's at stake? Well, the state of Mississippi is asking the court to overturn longstanding abortion president and Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, two landmark cases that prevented state governments from banning abortions at certain points during pregnancy. And doing that, it could radically alter the landscape of abortion access as many red states are prepared to quickly pass laws permitting further restriction access. Several states, for example, several have passed trigger laws designed to immediately restrict abortion once the SCOTUS overturns Roe. Meanwhile, blue and purple states are expected to face renewed political opposition as they try to maintain less restrictive laws. Any abortion advocates see a victory in Dobbs as just the beginning, since it would return the issue to state-level battlefields. Now, most people don't understand this. Before the abortion thing was ever taken to the federal level, abortion was governed at the state level. 
It was a state-by-state state thing. The, the state legislatures could come up with their own abortion rules, legislation, and governors could sign them into law. If Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, and there are many people that don't think it ever will happen, but if it should happen, that doesn't outlaw abortions in the U.S. What it does is said, we're going to take it out of the federal government purview and put it back where it was originally in the state's hands. So what are the main arguments? Roe and Casey are vital precedents. Jackson Women's Health Organization has repeatedly underscored the long-standing precedents that were established by Roe and by Casey in those two cases. Mississippi's law, it argues, fails to pass Casey's requirement that state laws not impose an undue burden on access to abortions before viability. Upholding Mississippi's law would be inconsistent with state decisions or the principle that courts let previous decisions stand. The very essence of those decisions in Roe and Casey is the right of every individual to decide whether to continue a pre-viability pregnancy to term. That's in the brief. It also argues that there is no special justification for a different outcome now. Mississippi does not meaningfully engage with the personal autonomy and bodily integrity interests that underpin constitutional protection for the right to decide whether to continue a pregnancy or not. States have an interest in protecting life, women's health. Mississippi's brief argues that its law rationally furthers valid interest in protecting unborn life, women's health, and the medical profession's integrity. The law's 15-week limit comes in part from the state's contention that women face a greater risk of complications from abortions after the 15-week mark. It also argues that scientific advances show an unborn child has taken on the human form and features months before its viability. So we're talking about terminating life based upon an opinion, not based upon scientific fact. Do you think we'll get an answer out of this? You think the Supreme Court will weigh in? They'll have to weigh in. And you and I both know it doesn't matter what their decision is going to be. There's going to be rancor and anger, and there's going to be violence in the streets, regardless of the outcome of this. And I think that's really sad, but that's the nation in which we find ourselves, folks. That's where we're living. Moving along with other things to talk about, you know, we we started the show talking about COVID-19 and vaccine mandates. Make sure today, make sure you read today's story at truthnewsnet.org, the front page story. Uh, There are some answers in there. Come from a Uh, An unusual source, not a politician, but a doctor, a real doctor, who uh, he brings forward some things that uh, we should be looking at for all our answers regarding everything to do with COVID-19. Facts, scientific facts, not opinions, but scientific facts. This is also, we mentioned when we opened the show and we started talking about the COVID-19 stuff, we didn't mention in mandates National Guard members who don't 
want the COVID-19 vaxes and are not going to take it will no longer be able to participate in training and risk having their pay withheld. That's according to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin yesterday. He sent out a memo to military officials. In it, Austin stressed that vaccination is essential to the health and readiness of the force and that the Secretary of the Army and the Secretary of the Air Force in coordination with the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness and the Chief of the National Guard Bureau should establish policies and implementation guidance to address the failure to maintain this military medical readiness requirement by members of the non-federalized National Guard who remain unvaxxed. Remember this, National Guard's not under the federal government. They're state by state, so it's a state by state thing But the money for National Guard, almost in total, comes from who? Uncle Sam. So the Defense Secretary says, hey, 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 you don't do what we tell you to do, what we want you to do. We're going to take your money away from you. That sounds like democracy, doesn't it? All these cases around, all these courts, federal courts, appeals courts, have basically... They have said, wait a minute, this looks like it's not going to be constitutional. And yet, instead of waiting for the courts to do their thing, Joe Biden, everybody that works for him, they're foaming at the mouth to force everybody to get vaccinated. So they just thumb their noses at the reality that there is a good chance this isn't going to pass muster when it comes to its constitutionality and still force Americans people in uniform to get vaccinated or lose your gig, lose your job. What does that tell all of these people serving in the military that have made the commitment to serve and protect the citizens of the United States? What does that tell them? What does that tell them about the Biden administration? You know, a president, sitting president is always the commander in chief, the number one guy in the military sends a pretty nasty message, doesn't it? Basically, the message is, hey, we say this, (laughs) but we're joking. We don't really have your back. Go get the dang vaccine or you're fired. We don't want you to be here. We don't want you to be in uniform. We don't care about the commitments that you've made. We don't care about even if it's unconstitutional. We're going to make you do it or else. Our story on Monday of this week had to do with the Hunter Biden stuff that's come up. And what instigated that all is a blockbuster book that was released this week by New York Post writer Miranda Devine. I really like Miranda. She's an investigative reporter, one of the best. She's from um, she's from the UK. I don't know if it's Australia or Britain. First of all, she's got a great voice and a great accent, but she is a on-target investigative reporter. Some new evidence comes out, folks, this week. Go figure, right when the book comes out. And what's the new evidence and what is it about? Hunter Biden's ties, really big economic ties to China. 
Uh, new revelations this morning from Hunter Biden's laptop from hell, further linking him to China's payroll. That's according to the New York Post columnist Miranda Devines, whose new book, Laptop from Hell, which he claims he received a three-carat diamond and a $30 million offer to help a Chinese energy firm. Our next guest has been calling out the media over their silence on Hunter's scandals. Unfiltered host Dan Bongino joins us now. Dan, so lots of lavish gifts, lots of money that he was paid for to make introductions to his dad. What do you think about this? Well, here's the question everyone should be asking, which we've asked on this network for a while, me included. What the hell were they buying? No, what were they buying? Were they buying his legal expertise? Were they Is he some kind of a, a, a rare gem guy? <laughs> Does he have some kind of unique expertise into natural resources, um, including oil and petroleum reserves for the Ukrainian natural gas company? Has anyone in the media bothered outside of this network and conservative media? Has anyone bothered to ask why the son of the president of the United States seems to be the most valuable man in corporate America all around the world? Has anybody asked that? And guys, there's no excuses here as to why the media is still doing one of the biggest cover-ups in media history. Here, let me show you some. Here's the receipt. We have the receipt, guys. Here is the Hunter Biden receipt. Signed by Hunter Biden. There's Hunter Biden's signature. Bill to Hunter Biden with Hunter Biden's laptop. Here, here's another one. Wait, I got more. This is like a court exhibit. Don't go anywhere, fellas. Here's a picture of Hunter Biden. I even, of, of Joe Biden and Hunter. I even circled Joe for you. That's not part of the picture. That's my Sharpie. There's Joe Biden with Hunter Biden's business partners that he says he never met. There was this kid, Steve, you may know him, Peter Ducey. Yeah. He's got the same last name as you. He asked Joe Biden a question during the campaign. Hey, man, you have any conversations with your son over these business deals? Nah, none of them. There's the picture. Right. There's the picture. Right. There's Joe Biden in the picture. I mean, what Dan. else do you need to know to interview this guy and ask him serious questions? You talk about serious. Uh, this China energy firm is tied directly to the Chinese government, and they're looking to push forward their Belt and Road program, which is the counter to American influence. They take these struggling countries hostage by giving them money and then extort them for their natural resources or their port access. And he's helping yes. foment that. The other big story in Miranda Devine's book is the cobalt mine. We basically yes. gave up the cobalt mine, which is cobalt is necessary for this clean energy and this battery power. We gave it to China because in 2013, involved in that sale is Hunter Biden. This isn't just a, a crack addicted son of a president. That's a personal story and a tragic one. This relates to American foreign policy and to our president. They want to make it about addiction. It's not. You're right. And the Belt and Road Initiative, thats they're doing that now, by the way, with airports as well, even in Africa, where they're currently in the process of taking over an African airport now. They lent a bunch of money to, can't pay it back. This is all part of the plan, Brian. Now, the, you know, it's interesting how the Democrats always talk about greed. You hear it often. They're actually blaming inflation now on greed and not Joe Biden. It's amazing how greed right. is just the worst it's been in 30 years under Joe Biden. Well, now you understand why, guys, because the Chinese government understands Biden fam. Biden families, their proclivity for greed. They're really great at exponentially growing greed. Sure. They knew that. Do you blame the Chinese government for understanding Joe Biden's kid is a grifter and then taking advantage of it to leverage their power?
power against the United States? This is a nuclear-powered enemy of the United States. Let's be crystal clear. But you blame them one bit for saying, hey, our intel sources show that this guy's family's full of grifters. Let's take advantage of it. Of yeah. course they did that. Well, you know, we did reach out to Hunter Biden's lawyer for a statement we have not heard back. Don't, don't hold your breath. I can't believe that Hunter Biden's attorneys wouldn't return the phone call to clear the air for all of this stuff. Oh my gosh. Can you believe this is happening? <laughs> Can you believe that we have a president in the White House that has been implicated by numerous people that has been implicated from the words out of his own mouth about his egregious um, threatening the nation of Ukraine to stop investigating the company his son was on the board of directors for. The president of the United States is in the financial stream of that. And it's being allowed. Nobody's doing anything about it. Your daily dose of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And now, Mr. Robert Goulet reads from The Writings of Bart, the collected after-school blackboard writings of young Bart Simpson. Mr. Goulet. I will not trade pants with others. I will not do that thing with my tongue. I will not Xerox my butt. A burp is not an answer. I will not pledge allegiance to Bart. I will not eat things for money. I will not bring sheep to class. I will not instigate revolution. My name is not Dr. Death. To experience all of Bart's blackboard writings, watch every classic episode of The Simpsons. I will not call the principal Spudhead. The Simpsons, now five times a week. Let me ask you a question. Who is the most popular individual in the Joe Biden presidential administration? Who do you think it is today? Who would you think? I mean, I mean, there are a lot of people in his administration. You have his, uh, his secretaries, his cabinet secretaries. Then he has the people that he appoints to head various agencies. Jen Psaki. Oh my gosh, I actually heard one... Um, expert in news, I forget which one it was, but actually said that his favorite all-time White House press secretary is Jen Psaki. And folks, I mean, we've shown you here over and over and over again, a day does not go by when she doesn't tell a lie publicly, gross misrepresentation of facts, and makes no bones about them. She just lays it out there and expects Americans to listen to it and abide by it. But I don't think I don't think it would be Jen Psaki, the most uh, the most in demand person that works in the Biden administration. You know who it is? It's Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. He's the transportation secretary in the Biden administration. So what does that mean? Here's the big deal. Here's why he's at the top of the heap in the Biden administration popularity contest. 
he doles out hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure cash. Now, who does he give it to? Infrastructure cash is spread around the nation. And so that means states, it means counties, it means towns and cities. So mayors, members of city council, governors, members in state legislatures are all, all up in Pete Buttigieg's face wanting to be his best friend. Don't forget, Biden signed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill into law two weeks ago, allocating $660 billion of it to the DOT, Department of Transportation, to spend over the next five years. Governors and mayors across the country are scrambling for a piece of the pie, which includes about $211 billion to be awarded as competitive federal grants. Buttigieg, remember, he was a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, so he knows what the local level politicians are feeling. He has essentially become the most powerful transportation secretary ever, controlling the wallet of an unprecedented amount of money at the Department of Transportation. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, as an example, has spent a big amount of time in recent weeks in D.C. pitching Kansas City's projects to top transportation officials. I think you have a bit of a scramble right now among mayors and leaders around metro areas around the country to make sure they that not just uh, get our priorities out, but our faces in front of folks. That's what the mayor said in an article that was published on Monday. It's going to be a question of what city is putting its best foot forward to show that they're doing something different and that they're doing something special that's worth the attention and ultimately worth what? Money. Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg said he plans to meet with Buttigieg during a trip to Washington next month. All of this money and what will be our share of it can be transformational, the mayor said. Representative Bobby Rush, a Democrat in Illinois, wasted no time after the bill was signed lobbying Buttigieg at the bill signing ceremony about a proposed rail extension in Chicago. I wanted to make sure that he walked away from there with my priorities in a pocket, he said. Austin, Texas Mayor Steve Adler, longtime friend of Buttigieg's, he said he started talking to the secretary as far back as January about Austin's Project Connect high-capacity transit plan. Now, here's the other piece of this. Follow me. This is really crazy, but it's really interesting. It's very political. Because Buttigieg is getting so popular around the nation, that's one big reason his name is being floated in Democratic circles as a potential presidential candidate if Biden chooses not to run in 2024. How and where Buttigieg chooses to hand out the funds will be closely scrutinized by Republicans. You can bet that's true. A DOT spokesperson said that Buttigieg is regularly engaged with stakeholders who may benefit from the new law 
and that he's placed an emphasis on projects that focus on economic strength, safety, climate, equity, not equality, but equity, and preparing for the future. The spokesperson said communities of all sizes stand to benefit from the various grant programs, including rural and urban areas, and that Buttigieg is committed to following the statutory requirements and congressional intent when implementing those programs. During an appearance earlier this month, well, last month, the last week of the month, on MSNBC, Buttigieg said his agency feels a responsibility to be creative, to be smart, to be entrepreneurial, but also to be careful, cautious, and accountable of these dollars. Since the infrastructure bill was signed into law, Buttigieg has made several appearances in Baltimore and Phoenix, touting its passage. He plans to travel to Charlotte tomorrow with Vice President Kamala Harris and Representative Alma Adams, a Democrat from North Carolina, to talk about how the law, the law is going to benefit their state. With Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, the pairing together, raised some eyebrows on social media due to reports the two could face each other in the 2024 Democratic presidential primary. That's interesting. Biden said he intends to seek a second term, but he's already the oldest ever president at 79, fueling doubts that he's even going to be up for the challenge. I don't even think he he realizes that there's an election coming up unless somebody in his camp says, don't forget to talk about 2024, Mr. President. Huh? What's happening in 2024? There's a re-election. You're going to be running for re-election for president in 2024. And Joe says, I don't know about that. I, I, I wonder where Jill is in this whole run for re-election thing. I mean, I got to be honest with you, folks. She's carrying a heavy load. It's her job. She's taking it on, and you see her exercise it all the time. She's protecting Joe. She's very protective, and she's keeping people away that she doesn't think needs to be in his face. She tries to take and control him, but it's virtually impossible. So you heard from Secretary Treasury Janet Yellen earlier in that conversation with uh, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy in a hearing. There's something else big going on that includes Janet Yellen now. It's about this IRS thing. IRS thing. I'm sure you've heard about this, but just in case you haven't, it was revealed that private taxpayer files of thousands of Americans thousands were stolen from the IRS or copied or diverted or whatever you want to say. And whoever did it sent these files to a progressive group, ProPublica. The IRS files cover at least 15 years worth of data described by ProPublica as a vast trove. Secretary Yellen said, we don't know what the source of the leak of that information was, and I would say it's premature to indicate that it actually came from the IRS. Uh, I don't know about that because it's files, IRS files, taxpayers, IRS files. Hmm. It doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency. 
to get to the bottom of things. It, it, you probably hadn't heard much about it. It's no big deal in the news or they'd be doing something about it. When the existence of that trove of information was announced way back in June, folks, IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick sent under oath that an investigation's already underway. I can confirm, he said, that there is an investigation with respect to the allegations that the source of the information in that article came from the Internal Revenue Service. Almost six months now. Still, there's nothing but radio silence. All this while American people are supposed to just shrug and accept the imposition of enormous new IRS powers, including bank account snooping, You heard Yellen talk about that. Democrats in their tax and spend blowout bill. Over the decades, the IRS has proven to be unable or unwilling to safeguard our data. All our tax data, they have it. On June 6th, Janet Yellen said this, We don't have any facts at this point, but it's absolutely a top priority to safeguard taxpayer data. A week later, she said, Let me just say one final word about the IRS. Many of you have expressed, now she's in Congress, many of you have expressed concern about the recent ProPublica report. I'm deeply troubled by it as well. It's important to stress an unauthorized disclosure of taxpayer information is a crime and that it has been referred to the FBI, federal prosecutors, and Treasury Department oversight authorities. We don't yet know what happened, But all is being done to get to the bottom of this criminal activity, and we will be sure to update you as we learn more. Three months later, September 28th, the ProPublica information represented an illegal revelation of taxpayer information. It's an illegal act, and it is being investigated thoroughly by independent entities. Why? Why would independent entities be investigating it. Why not the IRS? Why not the DOJ, FBI? This is her talking again, and there really can't be tolerance for that, she said. Just to be clear, we do not know the ProPublica information came from the IRS. That hasn't been established. So we went from June, July, August, the whole month of September, still don't know. Two days later, Representative David Kustoff, Republican from Tennessee. How did ProPublica publish and obtain information from the IRS about taxpayer information? Yellen, independent agencies and law enforcement are currently looking into that and attempting to figure out how that occurred. That is clearly a crime and an utterly unacceptable thing. It will be prosecuted when it's understood. Nothing until the last day. Of November. Secretary Yellen, there are independent agencies, both within Treasury, the Inspector General, also the FBI and DOJ, that are conducting investigations. We're not privy. Nothing has been reported out yet from those investigations that I'm aware of, but I believe those investigations are moving forward. We don't know what the source of the leak that information was, and I would say It's premature to indicate that it came from the IRS. 
June, July, August, September, October, November. Six months. And the Secretary of the Treasury, folks, the number one in charge directly underneath the President of the United States of all of the financial doings of the federal government for the American people doesn't have a clue what the source was. Do you believe that? I don't. I don't. You having a bad day? Anytime you're having a bad day, hum a song. Whatever it is that you face, folks, we're leaving it here today. God can do anything. the power